worship, the less preaching time I get. So I got to be stingy here. Good morning, church family. Welcome to Graham Emanuel Baptist Church. Today is Communion Sunday. That's a big deal. This is an important Sunday. It's when we come together as a church, remember the relationship that we have with God and with each other as a result of our shared faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's why we're here as a church family. We have some announcements for you this morning. There's some exciting stuff here happening at the church. Uh, One of them, which we're very much looking forward to, is us becoming one church service that's going to be meeting outside in the parking lot for our church in the parking lot event. That's going to happen last Sunday in July. I believe we have a slide for that. Yeah, there we go. Uh, July 30th, it's not showing up for me yet, uh, but July 30th, that's when we're going to be meeting outside uh, as one service, so get excited for that. That's going to be at 10 a.m. Next announcement is the week leading up to that church in the parking lot uh, Sunday is going to be VBS. So what a great segue to invite parents who bring their kids to VBS to invite them to come to church for a special barbecue on Sunday Uh, at the end of that week. That's going to be July 24th to 28th, and I've been told that there's specifically two things uh, that uh, the team would like you to know uh, as a congregation, and that is if you go to the information bar out in the foyer, you'll see that there is a place to sign up for a prayer list. Uh, There's a little prayer list sign as well as a donation list. Uh, So there are needs for prayers and donations Uh, I don't think money donations, but more donations of uh, specific items that you can learn more about at the information desk. Um, Related to what you see out in the foyer, we don't have a slide for it, I think, but uh, I did bring this as a show and tell. You'll notice that we have new tracks out in the foyer. Those are mounted on the wall. These tracks are both uh, to hand out to people uh, who need to hear the gospel, uh, but they're also for people who are Christians uh, on different topics like parenting, marriage, uh, the meaning of church. So I encourage you to check out those great tracks. They're published by Crossway, uh, a great publisher, and uh, these are really quality tracks. I encourage us as a church, church family to use these as a resource. Um, I remember there was even a membership interview that I was a part of a couple of weeks ago where part of the membership class, they had a question based on a verse that they read in this tract. And so we got to talk about it. And that was awesome. That was a great use of this. Uh, so just be aware of that. There's uh, little changes like that that are uh, helpful, hopefully helpful uh, to you all. And then finally, our last announcement uh, is if you are with us for the first time this morning, we want to say welcome. We're glad you're here. Could you do us a favor? <laughs> Take that connection card that is at the bottom of your bulletin, and if you would be so kind as to fill it out with any information that you would like us as a church to know, and then when you go out the front doors, you'll notice a little drop box with a sign on it that says drop box, and place it in, and we as pastors and elders, we will get that this week, and we pray through those connection cards, we follow up with you, we see if you have any questions about the church, and we do this because we want to be more than just a church that you go to, we want to be a church that you are a part of, we want to be 
the family of God here at Graham Emanuel Baptist Church. And so even if you are not a newcomer, if there is a prayer request that you have for us, if there is an update in directory information or just anything related to the church like interested in serving or wanting to learn more about a different program, if that's true for any of you guys this morning, please even you all fill out that connection card, tear it off, it's now perforated at the bottom and place it in the Dropbox on your way out. Okay, I'm excited to preach, so i got to end the announcements. Let's pray and thank God for the gift of his word and for the gift of the freedom that we have in this country to gather together and worship him with his word. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the country that you have given us to live in and the faithfulness that you have displayed to our nation over the past 200 years. That faithfulness is a result merely of your own grace, Lord, not our own merit, but totally your decision to be good to us as a country. And we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the freedoms that we have as citizens. And Lord, may we use those freedoms as instruments and tools to proclaim your good news boldly to all those around us. Lord, may this morning as we get ready for communion, may today's time in the word be a joyful time and a convicting time. And may it also be a time that overflows and has ripple, effect, ripple effects uh, throughout this week in our daily lives. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, written by Mark, who was a follower of the Apostle Peter. When you read the Gospel of Mark, associate Mark with Peter. Peter gave stories of his life with Jesus that Mark later wrote down. That's what um, the Christians in the second century tell us. Turn to Mark chapter 10, and we're going to be looking specifically at verse 35 in Mark 10, where these two sons of thunder, James and John, they, for whatever reason that the Bible doesn't tell us, think that it would be a good idea to ask Jesus a certain question. And this is the question that they ask him in Mark chapter 10, verse 35. It says that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, Jesus, and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Wow. And he said to them, in verse 36, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. This is when the southerners say, Bless their heart. And Jesus said to them in verse 38, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. 
You see, James and John at this point in their walk with Jesus had a very shallow relationship with Christ. They had an understanding of Jesus as someone who should be accepted, one who should be believed, so that when you die, things would generally turn out your way. That's reflected in the question that they asked of Jesus. Hey, we're following you. We believe that what you're saying is true. Therefore, can we get the payday when we go to heaven? And that's often how most Christians tend to think of their Christianity as well. They'll say, oh yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I I believe that Jesus loves me and, and that he died for me. And I've accepted that. I checked the box. Therefore, give me my heaven. I'll take one ticket to heaven, please. No return ticket. Thank you very much. And that is the extent, sadly, of many Christians' relationship with their creator. And maybe even this morning, as you reflect in your heart, you realize that that is also the extent of your relationship with God. As a saved person, maybe you recognize that you just go day by day, not really actively walking with the Lord, never actually having any kind of growing relationship with him, but just this kind of shallow James and John type of Christianity that says, we accept you, God, now please give us good stuff when we die. Paul is going to address that in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, when he continues to talk about what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And as you turn to Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, we're going to see specifically that Paul is going to make it clear that to truly walk with Christ is going to involve commitment. It's going to involve trust. It's going to involve skin in the game. Many of you have heard in the news about that submarine that attempted to go down to the Titanic There was many people who were aware of that company who built that Titanic submarine. They had heard the presentations. They had listened to uh, the, the selling points of why this was a good submarine to go down into. But when the rubber met the road and it was time to actually get in it, many people wisely, unfortunately, weren't willing to do that. They were willing to accept and acknowledge that perhaps the submarine company had a good idea of how to go see the Titanic, but very few were actually willing to get in it and submerse themselves under the water. And today in Colossians chapter 2, Paul is also going to say that real trust, real belief to truly follow something means that you actually have a commitment to such a degree that you are willing to be submersed in that thing. So let's read together Colossians chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading specifically this morning verse 12. Paul says, Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Remember, at this point, we have our outline of the entire letter of Colossians, where everything leading up to chapter 2 was in preparation of this idea of knowing Christ. Therefore, since you have received or heard of Christ, as a result, walk in him. That's the point of the rest of Colossians. 
That's everything that Paul is explaining now. He's giving instruction on how to have an actual walking relationship with Jesus. And specifically in Colossians chapter 2, that chapter is broken down into two sections where Paul is beginning in chapter 2 focusing on the sufficiency of Jesus as the means by which we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And in the second half of chapter 2, he's going to talk about the insufficiency of everything else. Which is why right now in chapter 2, verse 12, we are in the midst of the in him passages. Where again and again we see in him, in him, in him. And we even have a slide here that displays that. Fulfilled in him. Last week we talked about how we are circumcised in him. And today in verse 12 we are going to look at two more in him statements to show the source and the sufficiency of Christ in our walk with the Lord. And that fact is our big idea for this morning, which you can see on the chart, but that the big idea is that Christians have been submerged in both Christ's death and his resurrection. That a true walking relationship with God, one that is not shallow like the, ones, the one that James and John had, is one that is willing to recognize that they have completely dived into, they have completely experienced, they have like a submarine going down into the ocean, uh, been submerged or baptized into two things, into Christ's death and also into his resurrection. This is what Paul means when he says that circumcision was something that Christians experienced, that circumcision was the sign or the mark of someone being part of the family of God. It was the thing that sealed us, and it was the thing that purified us. Uh, we, we, re we remember last week that circumcision was actually the death of Jesus on the cross, so that was Christian circumcision. But in verse 12, Paul is going to elaborate on that, and he's going to explain specifically how uh, Christians, as the mark of their identity, as the source of their Christian life, it's not just the fact that Jesus died for us on the cross, but it's that Christians also have shared in the actual experience spiritually of Jesus' death and of Jesus' resurrection. So the first point for you this morning is what Paul says here at the beginning of verse 12, which is having been buried with him in baptism. Our first point is this, that Christians' old selves have been completely buried with Christ. When Paul says having been buried with him in baptism, he's referring to a cultural thing that both Jews and Gentiles would have been very familiar with. It was customary for families to be buried with one another. When one member would die, even similar today when you go to cemeteries, you would see that when one family member died, they would be placed and buried next to other family members. And in fact, they would, their bodies would be wrapped up. They would be placed to, next to each other if they had died recently. And over the course of one year, their body would actually be allowed to rot. And, and their flesh would be allowed to decompose off their bones. 
That's what happened to Jesus when, when he was wrapped. When, when the women were coming to bring the ointment, it wasn't to mummify Jesus. It was actually to cover the smell because for that first year, the body is, is meant to rot off the bones. Then what they would do a year later, they would come back, they would take the dry bones, and they would put it in what's called an ossuary, which means bone box. And the bone box would literally be filled with all of the bones of different members of the family. And there was a specific word to describe this, not just that something was buried, as in buried treasure, but the idea that someone was buried with other people. This is similar to how the Old Testament describes that when Abraham died, that he was carried to his fathers, that he was buried with his family, that he's sharing in the same destination. Their bones and his bones are ending up in the same place next to each other. They are sharing in death together. Paul says that this cultural concept of sharing in death and in burial with loved ones in your family is the same way that you should think about Jesus' death on the cross. That when you look at the cross, you're not just reminded of Jesus dying, but that you should also be reminded of the fact that you have also died with Jesus. That's why Paul uses this word, baptize. When we hear the word baptize, we often think of the spiritual ordinance of baptism. But this is very important to know, and this will help you avoid so much bad theology, which is that the word baptize was not a spiritual term. It was a practical term, and it meant one thing, sunk, <laughs> submerge. If a boat was to go to the bottom of the ocean, that boat was described as having been baptized. And in fact, the Greek word for baptism is baptizo. We don't have a translated word for it. We literally just wrote out the Greek word in English. Oftentimes, the New Testament will use the word baptize, and they're not talking about the ceremony of baptism. They're talking about Christians being submerged into something being put into something where they are covered in it from head to toe. That's going to be important when you read your New Testament, when you see the word baptized, to ask yourself what kind of baptism is Paul or one of the other writers referring to. In this context, because he says burial, when Paul talks about the fact that we have been buried with Christ, just like one would be buried with a family member, he uses the word baptism to describe the fact that we have been completely dunked into Jesus' death. Which, by the way, is why we don't sprinkle. Because Jesus didn't partially die for our sins. Jesus wasn't partially buried, and we weren't only partially submerged or dipped into the death of Christ for the sake of sin. That was something that happened completely for sin. Jesus completely died for sin, and we completely share in Jesus' death to sin so that we can completely benefit by it. That's why we submerge with baptism. It's not because we were born Baptist and we were told this is what we have to do. This is why, because that's what the word means, but because it signifies our experience, what we share in with Christ, something that is deeper than just a shallow walk with the Lord that says, yeah, I believe in God, I believe that he loves me. And we leave it there, 
When instead, as Christians, we say, not only do I believe that God loves me, I believe that he died for me, and I follow him, which means that my old self, which loves to sin, also died with Jesus. That's what Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 says. It says that for as many of you as were submerged into Christ have put on Christ. This is what Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Last one, Galatians chapter 5 verse 27 Notice a theme here. These are all in Galatians. He's making an emphasis on this because he's dealing with Jewish Christians called Judaizers who were making an idol out of circumcision, of all things. Quite the coincidence, isn't it? But in Galatians 5.27, Paul says this. He says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Being a Christian... Being a true follower of Christ involves the recognition that Jesus did not only die for you, but that your old self also died with Jesus. That the old version of you who loves to lust or who loves to get angry or who loves to be greedy or to covet or to lose your temper, that that old you was crucified, that it was nailed to the cross and completely killed Therefore, when you are presented with the opportunity to sin, by faith you must remember that you are now dead to that temptation. That's what faithfulness looks like. Just to really hammer it home, let's actually turn together to Romans chapter 6. Because sometimes Paul preaches the sermon on his verses better than pastors can. So let's turn to Romans chapter 6. I got to just say, as you guys are turning there, I was 13 in my bedroom, grew up in church, wasn't sure what my adult life was going to look like, wasn't even sure if I wanted to be a Christian, said, I'm not sure about this whole Christianity thing. Do I still believe it, even though I was saved at five? I'm going to read the New Testament. Man, and I remember reading Romans chapter 6. I'm not overestimating, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that part of the reason why 17 years later I'm standing here this morning is because I read Romans 6. Let's read it together. This is Paul just preaching the sermon for me, okay? Paul says in Romans 6 verse 3, he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. 
That's the explanation of Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. That we have been completely dunked, submerged in, we have shared in the death of Christ. But let's go back to Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, and look at the second half of that verse. Because it's all well and good that we have been crucified with Christ and that we have become dead to sin. But what do dead people do? Nothing. They just lay there. They don't do anything. They they don't have any capacity. They don't accomplish anything. They don't perform anything. Dead people are incapable. Which is why we as Christians are more than just dead to sin. We are also resurrected with Christ. We are alive as new creatures with God. This is what Paul says in verse 12 when he says that you have been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. When we celebrate Easter and we recognize that God raised Jesus from the dead, that is good news, not just because it proves that God wasn't a liar, because it, but because it proves that he can also raise us from the dead. That if God can crucify us with Christ and make us dead to our sinful passions, he can also give us new life. He can resurrect us by the Holy Spirit with a new life that is predisposed to obey him so that a truly faithful Christian life is one that in every opportunity to sin, you consider yourself dead. And in every opportunity to obey, you consider yourself resurrected. Because Jesus was raised on the third day and we are completely submerged or baptized into his resurrection as well. This is what Paul means in Ephesians chapter, four, uh, chapter 2 verses 5 and 6. He says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Many of us, we act like Jesus rose on the third day, yet we live a Christian life as if we never rose. We just live in kind of dead zombie mode where uh, we, we believe that we're Christians, where uh, we, we put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, but we still just submit and fall enslaved to sin, this thing that we have been crucified to. And this thing that God has raised us into new life from in order to obey him. All this leads us to the end of verse 12, which says this. That this is through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him, being Jesus, from the dead. True Christianity is not just believing in God. Because demons believe in God. True Christianity is believing in what God did for you through his son, Jesus Christ. That God, by his grace, became a man and died for sin, and that you and your old self died with Christ. But that also God, by his power over all things, brought that dead man, Jesus Christ, the man and living God, back to life. And as a result, you too, when you are saved, are raised to newness of life. Therefore, Christians, how are you going to walk faithfully? A true faithful walk is not just acknowledging who God is or that he loves you, 
but it is every morning, every afternoon, every evening, every opportunity reminding yourself that you are dead to sin and that you are alive to God, that you have been completely dunked in both his death and in his resurrection. So Christians, let's live like it. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to take communion, may we remember the sacrifice of your son Jesus Christ who died for sin and that we also died with him by curiously being associated with him. And that by being raised on the third day, we also get to be raised on the third day. Lord, we rejoice in this. By your spirit, Lord, may you convict us, may you equip us to live a faithful life that constantly reminds yourself that we are dead and no longer slaves to sin, but that we are also raised to new life and equipped to obey you in every way. May this faithfulness be shown in our obedience, and we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.